0: Baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth.
1: Okie Are you ready to get to some
2: six, seven, eight, nine of season three?
1: Is that what we're looking at?
2: Cause we oh, did yeah. one through five. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I've Thank seen
2: you. up to nine, but we can do that's, six. We, seven, that's eight, all eight, that's eight.
1: been released. That's all that's been released so far.
2: I checked out another podcast that does Handmaid's Tale. It's pretty funny. It's three ladies. I think two of them are married to each other.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, I'd call it three busy ladies if I'm saying it exactly. I try not to listen to their episodes on the episodes we haven't talked about yet, but their start off to the season has been pretty fun.
1: Oh, I was going to tell you, I, not that I haven't been listening to him anyway, but I listened to your latest episode with you over on um, Desmond's show. Oh, the creep shows? The creep shows, yeah.
2: How stoned did I sound in that?
1: <laughs> <No more laughs> or was it just you- me? I think it's just you, but I was going to say no more than usual.
2: <laughs> Which is the usual amount.
1: No, you don't sound... There have been very few occasions where I have ever heard you sound, like, really stoned. <laughs> you usually keep it together. I try. Like, I you're, try to you sense. know what I mean? Like you, You're you one of those people that can do it. And I know that most of the time I can do it, but there's sometimes yes, where it's like... <laughs>
2: I get accused of of being stoned more often when I'm not than I do when I am. I guess before we go anywhere, I I should say, Vanessa, gender traitor.
1: Hail Satan. I don't know. I just can't, (laughs) I can't pull up the guise of...
2: Yeah. (laughs) We ended the last episode, I think, with fuck Gilead. And I think maybe that's that's better than saying one of the brainwashing... Sort of Catholic type things that the handmaids have to say to each other when when they see each other. Oh no,
1: I don't con—I don't consider those Catholic things that they have to say to each other. I almost feel that they're more like in the, like the, Puritan vein. Oh, okay. Uh, Do you know
2: Goody Tompkins? Goody
1: Proctor, and (laughs) (laughs) we're 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 going to the Crucible all of a sudden. No, I mean it's it's that kind of religious fervor environment truthfully and it's intermingled with this political blasphemy as well it's all intermingled so actually it's not too far out there that i just brought that up (laughs) (laughs) it's the first time i've ever brought that up in connection to handmaid's tale but it fits it fits yeah oh my goodness before we go any further i'm sorry to interrupt but before we go any further i have to say a couple days ago, I re-listened to our first recap episode of that we had done of this. And I realized how just negative and like violently negative I was. <laughs> and I'm not that kind of person. I really not. But I just was kind of I was so I had gotten so fired up and frustrated by not just those episodes, but just all these things were going on in the world. And I just was like, I'm going to blow up everything. I mean, I'm going to turn into Milton from Office Space. <laughs> I'm going to make the building better, okay? Like,
2: <laughs> If they increase the strength of the patriarchy one more bit, I'm going to burn this motherfucker to the ground. Right. Well, now that that's all over and everything is fine, you're you're chill now, right?
1: I have taken a deep breath, but I am not (laughs) chill. I have just taken a deep breath to say, no, I'm not going to be so rash to light the building on fire, but don't push me (laughs) because I'm close to the edge. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. I won't start doing old school math, but I could. (laughs) But. This shit just is, there's so much here that I, oh, I just keep going back to that there's so much here that we see going on now where we are not that far away from this. Which I know we'll get to it in a few minutes, but look at the episode where we get some, um, episode eight, where we get some backstory on Aunt Lydia in the before time. We are, we are about there. It does have
2: those little snippets where you kind of miss it.
1: They're just those nuggets of truth where you're just, I mean, like, Terrifying, terrifying, you know, realism of no, that's here and now. Anyway, go ahead. So I had to, I had to apologize, but not apologize. Yeah, I'm not apologizing, and I have rage inside of me. I'm just apologizing for expressing it so violently, Uh, particularly because I I guess it really, it kind of got to me where I was saying that, like, why didn't Serena kill herself? (laughs) You know. Oh. That was really not the most positive thing for me to say, especially as as someone who has been suicidal. Um, I know, but I was just so uh, pushed to the edge at that moment. And anyway, the rage is here still, but I've I've taken a little bit of a deep breath, so I can more productively handle my rage.
2: And here we are at Handmaid's Tale Season 3. Episodes six through nine, uh, household, under his eye, unfit, and heroic. I don't know about you, but the shots from when when they were shooting in D.C., I was stoked and bummed that they were shooting a week after I left D.C., because that would have been so fucking awesome to be there and watch that. That's right. I forgot about that. And I've been waiting for the episode that that was Mm -hmm. since, you know, since we started. And here we are. And I sort of think that DC is somewhat underused, but the points that they use are very powerful. You know, there's there's the showdown in front of the Lincoln Memorial where Lincoln has been, like, fucking blown up. Mm -hmm. And they're fighting about enslaved people and the Washington Monument turned into a giant cross and all the handmaids at the reflecting pool. And it shows how the bureaucracy down to its core is corrupt as fuck. And then there's a guy that's not Christopher Maloney, but looks like Christopher Maloney.
1: No, Christopher Maloney Maloney? is in it. Okay hello i'm just like all excited i'm just like oh
2: and he I and he and commander maloney. waterford are totally gonna fuck or something at some
1: point right I'm waiting <laughs> for it so long. oh my god that's my fan fiction
2: <laughs> you know like when they're playing pool they're they're in their suspenders and they're touching each other i'm like is he gonna ask for a blowjob
1: totally the way christopher maloney i was going to bring that up the way christopher maloney comes up and puts his shoulder his arm around him and like caress his shoulder i'm like this is some pretty fucking homoerotic shit. You can not deny this. It's yeah. not just me as a queer viewer projecting. Thank you, Darren, for validating that. Because I know sometimes I try to maybe push. I don't know. No, he, maybe he's, not.
2: He's like, like the, the, the Christian right uh, politician that persecutes all the gay people. And then they find mm-hmm. out that they've been having sex with underage male prostitutes. That's why he's overcompensating. And he's got, yes. what, 20 fucking kids? There were, I think, seven or eight of them. Eight kids, different handmaids for sure, if they weren't taken from other people. Like, they took those Protestants' house. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's the graveyard of former society. Yeah. And they're just flippantly, oh, I think they were Protestants or something. Here's the house that they left fleeing, and I won't tell you if we killed them or not.
1: Oh, my God. Okay, so we're talking about this episode, this first one, where they go to, because they're, they're trying to broker this deal or we're trying to make these pleas to Canada so they can get back baby Nicole, Um whatever. And, <laughs> and so they go to this house and the handmaid there and the way that they took the handmaid's costume to the next level.
2: Oh, the snappy mouth cover?
1: Oh my God. No, it is not a... It is basically... Is it buckles, not snaps? It, it is buckles on the back. It is some basic, like, S&M design shit, except, like, it's a major restraint. And the fabric that it's made out of, is just like this thick... It looks like a thick wool, and it is perfectly... I'm looking at it, and I'm just... The costumer in me is, like... Well, and seamstress in me is just... Oh my god, I'm having like you know a sewing orgasm over this. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, the, it's just
2: perfectly tailored. You'd say it really threads your bobbin.
1: It does. Well, and that goes back to showgirls and our um, <laughs> and the masturbation comment in showgirls. I can't thread a needle anymore. VD um, <laughs> clinic episode one. I so I said, yeah, this, you're right. It does go back. Anyway, so it, it's just it is done so perfectly so that someone cannot move even a quarter of an inch. I mean, and the way that it has the buckles in the back, you almost need someone to help you with it. The only reason that the one who is the regular handmaid, the only reason she can do it is because she has to get in and out of that thing every day. Well, part of why she wears that, the reveal of that is whole other level of fucked up
2: this is a scene that you know how there's some people in the horror community they're like oh i don't watch *Hamway's Tales, it's not horror this is one of the scenes that i'd be like oh i disagree
1: that's not just sewn up uh, that is pierced shut basically staples crate like big crazy yeah, right these three ring
2: like, binder rings yes strange land Type stuff. Thank
1: you. I, I was just thinking Strangeland. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get out of my head, Darren. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, that's, you're right. It's a major horror aspect. And I think there's some moments in this season that really bring that home. And so when I'll, so many people say, this isn't horror, I, I just don't understand it. And I have someone at my office that I had been telling. About, you know, we, we, you know, see each other in the halls and we'll start talking about whatever, you know, books and movies and TV and stuff. And so I've been telling him about Handmaid's Tale for a while. And he's like, okay I'll add that to my list of things to watch. Well, he just started watching like season one. You know, he's a little bit older than me and he's been really into horror, too, and grew up, you know, with the like cult movies and all of this stuff. And, you know, so he likes all of that. And he started watching Handmaid's Tale and he's just telling, you know, and he like texts me. He's like, oh my God, I saw blood. You know, he's like, that's just insane. And, you know, and he's not as political as us, but um, he's definitely, you know, pretty left of center. And still he's just looking at this and he's like, this is crazy, insane. And he's like, mentally it is just horrifying. Not even some of the visuals. And I, you know, I'm like, just wait. The <laughs> visuals start getting horrific, more horrific.
2: Like the people hung from the rafters in that church, or whatever, is one thing that always comes to mind. In the gym? Or yeah, the the gym, the
1: school gym. Yeah, yeah. and then when they yeah, like are the swimming, they pool are drowned scene. in the pool. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and just yeah, people on the wall. Well,
1: what was that? The last episode, episode five, where the one Martha was um, hung.
2: In the tree, or are you talking about in episode six where they? Do or the was rope it one thing? of
1: these? Oh no no no! I'm sorry. It was one of these. Sorry.
2: Seven or was it six or seven?
1: It was seven. Okay. Thank you. Sorry. No, it was seven. I'm I'm going back. I'm having to remind myself. No 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 no. It's a, it's it's number seven.
2: Well, in four or five, they were checking the trees for that one Martha. It was like I don't think she's here.
1: Right. Right. Well, well anyway, this is the one who actually, she's the Martha that June had been talking to trying to find out information about Hannah. And June's walking partner
2: of Matthew. Uh, I don't of know what Matthew. her, her real, real name is. We
1: never yeah, we don't find that out. She you know, rats the, the Martha out. And basically, you know, and she tells June, "Oh, I did it so I could save you." And they have to, you know, and they're all having to hang the, the the Martha. And that actress, oh, my God, her facial expressions. The
2: eyes, her eyes. right? That entire
1: scene, oh, my God. Yes.
2: Yeah, the weird execution thing where they make, like usual, they put all the, the blame onto the handmaids, which is like, is it true that you did this violent thing? Yeah, but, you know, I was escaping slavery.
1: Is it, yeah. you know... Oh no 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 that was um that was a last that was that episode 5 or whatever that five? yeah because we saw Emily in Canada with her wife and they were reviewing her um refugee status that's right um that was also when at around the time that they were reviewing the situation with baby Nicole too and yeah. so they started doing this digging and here's Emily you know having to fess up to what she had to do under what she had to do to survive slavery like uh, (laughs) just pisses me off and here there's
2: you said you were gonna be
1: calm I am see they're coming for me as usual you can hear they're coming for me as usual oh they haven't thrown me in jail yet um not physically at least I like how she
2: joins the the protests.
1: Yes, I do too because it makes so much sense. And then especially because you have you already have um oh, Moira I was blanking on her name. I was going to say I, Samira Wiley. That's I was calling her I'm- sexy lady Samira. from
2: Orange is the New Black in my head. So you are you were already ahead of me.
1: Samira Wiley. Yeah. Hot lady from yeah. And uh cool act- cool actress too. But yes, Moira she was already doing a certain amount of activism you can see and uh, you know as someone who escaped so it makes sense that but you you know she's telling emily about these different things and then emily at first it seems like she's reluctant about speaking so vocally about no i was the one who brought baby nicole over here to try to save her
2: well that that talks to the the stigma of the
1: rape victim right absolutely and here it, but she was willing to stand out there and say i escaped i am a survivor of this sexual slavery and i you know and i did what i had to do to to survive and i'm trying to take refuge here you know please let me take refuge and then it switches to also this you know she kind of by proxy because also june isn't there to speak on the baby's behalf, and it, well, it was Emily who carried the baby into Canada, you know? She has to, you you need those survivors to speak their experience, and they are the ones who need to be heard, so that is why it is always so important in activism that you have grassroots kind of efforts, you know? Sure, you can have lobbyists, whatever, but you really need to have people in the trenches who... That's their life, you know, or they they've been much more directly affected. I'm not saying everybody has to be, but there has to be at least a significant amount of leadership, you know, and and coming from that place, and you have those voices have to be there, and they have to be heard. You have to give them a stage. And I, I don't know. And so when we see them all going to this whole big, you know, go to Washington and try to arrange this big, fancy deal, you know, broker, whatever, and put on this crazy, Uh, display this could have been a Nazi propaganda film from the 30s like what was her name Leni Riefenstahl, the director who I mean she did other things and was a good director but she's mostly unfortunately known because she got jobs with Hitler's people um but I think that's how anyway that's how you say her name but that's what it reminds me of these orchestrated big displays for the media that are supposed to portray solidarity. And they're supposed to be portraying this sense of, we fully submit and believe in our leaders. You know, we submit to these leaders and we believe in them and we'll do whatever they say. This kind of fascist mentality. And even though Gilead isn't a dictatorship, it's still a fascist regime.
2: one thing I was sort of wondering about is I feel like they maybe expanded a little bit. The boundary of Gilead, you know, I know there's the war in Chicago, but
1: you You, know, I, you know what? I thought that was just me, but then again, I was like, well, but do we, did we ever really get a distinct sense of where borders are and different things? I, I don't know. And I think something you had, did you say to me? the other day when we were recording um something else or did you message me something about like i'm wondering where gilead's getting this level of power it's definitely something i thought if i didn't say it i thought you said that to me and we didn't really we didn't go into it but it, it is a very good question of because when you read the book and you see the movie and even when you see the first couple seasons of this show you feel that gilead has this distinct presence and this distinct power. Absolutely. However, you feel that it's limited spatially and globally. You, you know what I mean? You you don't feel like it's extending, especially when now they're talking about this so much like, oh, you know, Canada's trying to broker this deal, blah, 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 blah. You don't get the feeling in the book or whatever in these other seasons that Canada's sympathetic to gilead I don't, i've never gotten that feeling before and now why all of a sudden
2: one thing that i was wondering was maybe i don't know if it's just america where there's this fertility crisis but i, I think they the only things unless uh it, it it depends on the lines of gilead or whatever but the only thing i could ever see them exporting is babies And then that's an even more fucked up thing, because I I mean, what else does Gilead have a lot of is it seems they have a lot of guns and they've got a lot of sex prisoners that they turn into fertility factories.
1: Yeah, but there are so many people that are supposed to be um, sterile, even the men. Not that, you know, that that word's banned, of course. So I don't know if that's necessarily the case. It could be. It could be. I mean, obviously, black market, it exists. Gilead's like North Korea. It doesn't export anything, but
2: it scares people enough. I don't know why Gilead thinks that they're going to become a world player. I don't know if it's a commentary arrogance. about our government now, when they're like, arrogance. oh, we're America first, and that's going to make everybody like us more.
1: No, it's arrogance. There's, It's just a government and a culture that created this government that has a certain level of arrogance and entitlement that they have decided, you know, and of course, much of it stems from misogyny. We are going to put women in this place, even the ones that we're considering acceptable enough to be our wives. We've got to put so many women, women are beneath us. And then again, the racial thing, which, I mean, as this series goes on, I wish they would explore that more. I feel, you know, that they can Uh, because it is something that was barely touched on in the book, but there were references. And there's enough, I think, there planted that, you know, there could be a space for it. not saying they have to address it, but it would be nice. And maybe it's like to see this crazy government and this crazy culture or whatever world that's been built up, we need to see, I feel, more of it. So even if that means somehow... I don't know, following to Chicago or something, where they're, you know, having more of an uprising, or they're in this kind of in between place of, no, we're going, we're going to be, we're trying to separate from Gilead or, or not, or whatever. I, I feel, I feel like that, that could be an interesting way to go down the path through this because, I mean, yes, I feel that we have June here, obviously, and she's still continuing her fight for her children, for her daughters. But I'm just at a point where I'm kind of wondering what else they can do because they have started sprinkling me in these other things. And I'm like, okay, then start going at least a little faster on some of those. You know what I mean? I'm getting a little antsy. Okay. Yes. There are some, there are some important things that we see here in these episodes here, these four episodes there's some important things that are that come up, but I've got one I question when you're done with that thought. Yeah, I, I don't feel that all this action necessarily had to happen over four episodes.
2: <laughs> what do you think they were saying with with Nick? Like the the mm-hmm. what the Icelandic or the Canadian government? Who are they negotiating with in DC?
1: I, uh, it was I the intermediary
2: was... between Gilead and Canada, right?
1: Oh god, I'm blanking. I think it was Iceland. I don't I, know why, maybe, but I think it was Iceland. Maybe. But
2: but anyway, when they're they're super desperate to talk to Nick, and they're uh-huh. like, okay, we'll we'll make this deal if we can talk to Nick. Yeah. And then she they have that snowy lovers moment in in the courtyard, uh, where she says stuff like, "This is, yeah, this is your chance to to do the thing." But then she right. she goes back, and they're like, "Oh, Nick." We can't talk to Nick. We don't. We need anything from. It's like they totally forgot all the shit they said the day before.
1: Mm-hmm. Like they
2: obviously knew who know who he is. Yeah. So that was weird. I don't know if they're either playing it up that that he's a bigger player, like we were talking about, or if Commander Waterford's got some shit because they were walking out. Right, well, right before that change.
1: This is one possibility I see, because I I don't think that he's. He's certainly not 100% loyal or whatever to the Waterfords. I mean, truthfully. no, well, Right. We know this. But I think that a possibility is that as part of this plan for him to, of as part of May Day, and to really infiltrate and be able to go move to Chicago and really potentially fuck some shit up, or at least, you know, provides some, intel, like, serious intel to maybe these other governments. Yeah. I feel that maybe he had to sabotage kind of that situation in order, as a sacrifice.
2: To get sent away.
1: That's something that he sees as a bigger, like, greater good.
2: How can this be for the greater good? The greater good. Shut it! The greater good.
1: Do you know what I mean? Like, it's something that could but maybe it's something, I don't know, that could potentially bring down Gilead as a whole, and he sees that as a long game that he's playing. I mean, that is one thing that did pop into my head, but it did also pop into my head. Like, what the fuck are you doing?
2: My name's Nick Gilead. My dad started Gilead,
1: and... Yeah, like, it, it seemed, something seemed off about it to me, and I want to believe that he's playing the long, you know, bigger picture like he's, he's looking at the bigger picture of trying to bring Gilead down, and he had to be able to be reloc- relocated to Chicago and be entrusted with these higher-ups so he could gain a certain amount of intel. That's kind of what I think. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs>
2: yeah, We've, we've got that's... a few more episodes, and I know they're probably going to do another season. I haven't heard anything about this being the final season.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know.
2: I think Ann Dowd just won some awards or got nominated for some awards.
1: Emmy. I think another Emmy. Um, Which, oh, God, she's fucking amazing. Can we talk about, well, okay, do we want to go, before we go on to the big Aunt Lydia episode, do we have anything else to say about six and seven before we move on to more? Like, I mean, we can revisit that, but I'm saying, I mean, I'm just trying to think logically <laughs> in the story kind of that we're being presented.
2: Yeah, in the story, I, I don't know if we want to talk any about the obvious metaphor about what's going on in America when June finds all the children behind the giant wall and you can't get to them and mothers are crying. Yeah. You know that. I I mean, I don't really know what else can be said right now. Um, You know, Mike Pence, current representative of the future state of Gilead showed how Christian he was going down like uh, fucking Goebbels or whoever it was that went down to check out the camps. But yeah, Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> sadly, although this is being written now, but it's yeah, written in 1986, still a problem. Yeah. I think episode eight. Here we come. I think we talked about those first two pretty well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, um, well, we get, th- we finally get some, uh, aunt Lydia backstory and we knew it was coming. But, you know, we weren't exactly sure when, and um, I was glad that we did get more of a background on her. But when I was saying earlier that this is something I, can, I see as the present, like where she has these flashback scenes and she's working as a teacher, I mean, which makes total sense that she would be a teacher and then would be an aunt in Gilead.
2: And she was, what, a lawyer before she was a teacher, but all the family courts had been privatized or government run become something like a step towards Gilead. Right. I was a little let down just in that. I thought there had to be a little, And maybe I missed something, but I felt like there had to be a little something more than aunt Lydia, not getting laid by a mediocre looking (laughs) guy to turn her into aunt Lydia. Or is it that the point that she was always just horrible. And that was the little tiny thing that made her snap and be like, you know what? Fuck people. I'm a crazy Christian lady.
1: Well, I think what I think it's it's that, but because Anne Dowd is fucking Anne Dowd, she plays it with more nuance. And they do give a little bit more with the story, but you she really plays it with more nuance than just oh, she didn't get laid. Um but yeah, that is a contributing factor, <laughs> I think. I'm not blaming it at all on that. I don't, I'm not. Because what you see, look at the relationship she has outside of... I mean, and also, he's her superior at work. So that's a touchy, like, situation, you know? Um. Anyway, so it probably wouldn't have been the best idea, you know?
2: True. Whatever. True.
1: But... From a professional point of view but um look at the way she there's the child whose mother whose single mother you know is late picking him up yet again or whatever i mean like and she's making hungry and she's already making these very judgmental comments and looking at her very judgmentally the mother about you know this child is hungry He, you know, he, you know, the mother, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't have a job where you're around so many men like that. She's already at that judgmental stage. And then here she feels, I mean, at least I see that then she tries to engage in this romance and is rejected. Although, I mean, he seems on board with it though too. Yeah,
2: he's like maybe this is moving fast and so we should breathe for a second. She's like, I'm gonna have that woman's child taken away.
1: And 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 I think she overreacted to him saying, "Oh, we need to slow down." But he was obviously into her. <laughs> like, yeah. but then you had to like step back for a minute and think about it a little bit more, like logically. Of he's also her work superior, so maybe not the smartest thing for him to be involved with her that way
2: especially in the weird moral times that they're living in
1: right even but i'm saying now that's not necessarily the smartest thing to do it's just like she was already i feel like in this judgmental place and then this is just like another thing that kind of adds to it because i certainly wouldn't say oh it's just because she didn't get laid well
2: that's an oversimplification, but that's the thing that happened right before the turn.
1: I know, I know, and I know you were joking to some degree, but it's like, just it's to her, it's kind of like one more thing that even if she, when she finally does try to let herself go, she can't make it work. For better or worse, she just can't make it work, and she wasn't even willing to say, "Okay, yeah." We'll take it slow. Let's go out to eat. Didn't even say, you know what, let's plan another date or something. We'll go out and have dinner. Yeah. You know, we don't have to do anything after. We just have dinner. Like, they, she didn't even try to, you know, so she wasn't even willing to put any more effort into, like, because she just sees so much as just black and white. And it that's what you really see. In Gilead, her in Gilead, she strictly sees so many things as black and white. All the time. And that's when someone tries to explain a gray area, she doesn't want to hear it. Like, it doesn't compute to her. Things are either good or bad. You're either the Madonna or the whore. There is no in-between.
2: So you don't think she enjoys her cruelty? Or are those separate?
1: I think she enjoys order. I think she wants everything to be good and done right and for the greater good, the greater good. of God, or her demented version of whatever deity that is. Um, and, and for this, you know, not for just church, but for the state. And she sees that it's her duty and cruelty. I don't think she's necessarily, maybe, she, I mean, she certainly has a masochistic streak in her. Absolutely. I certainly see her as having a sadistic streak in her, but.
2: Uh, uh, for, she, let me just she, throw, throw an example at you.
1: She doesn't revel in the cruelty, in my opinion.
2: So in the final, wrong. in the final episode that we're talking about today, which okay. comes after the Aunt Lady episode. We start mm-hmm. 32 days in at the hospital
1: on her knees. That's fucked up. Yeah. That's uh, some Inquisition <clears throat> shit. That's yeah. some Inquisition level flagellate yourself shit.
2: Yeah, I, I guess, you know, if you are hopefully watching along with this show, you know, we sort of didn't finish that arc of the storyline of uh, her walking partner who ratted her out. Then oh, she, man, got, yeah. she got the the mean girl's treatment or the...
1: Um, oh. oh, God. That was... Know. Yeah. Everybody's shunning her at the grocery store and all these other events, like spitting in her water.
2: Bullying the fuck out of her.
1: Oh, my God.
2: So she gets driven, as one does, to a psychotic breakdown in what's that place called loaves and fish or
1: loaves and fishes
2: loaves and fishes and yeah
1: and she's also hormonal because she's pregnant i mean i'm sorry she's also not i'm not blaming it on that but you're already your emotions are already askew because of that and then all of this on top of it yeah
2: yeah so you know that's that's what leads to her being in the hospital
1: well no well no what happens with that is she flips the fuck out and doesn't just turn a table over um, like some Beverly Hills housewife or some shit. <laughs> she throws a can of, I don't know, not beans, but something like that at, who was that? Was that a Janine? Yeah. And got her in the eye that was already damaged and had been cut out. Um oh, poor Janine. I don't I have problems with her, but I feel bad for her because that, that eye is taking a beating. um she gets her cool eye patch later yeah she does oh my god that was an awesome eye patch i have to say um nice little touch but so of matthew like throws that or and just starts flipping out and screaming and then she looks around she sees one of the the guards or whatever and grabs their gun and june kind of maniacally stares her down and they always in that place they oversaturate like the light so and and everything is so white. So white and pristine. And then you see Aunt Lydia all of a sudden there. Then June kind of goads of Matthew into pointing the gun at Aunt Lydia and Aunt Lydia dodges yet another bullet. This woman, more lives than a fucking cat, because she gets take because of Matthew gets shot and taken down by a guard before she can actually shoot. Well, she—I sh- think she lets off a shot, but it just misses Aunt Lydia.
2: Yeah, she didn't hit any of the women.
1: Yeah, sure. no, exactly. And the guards don't actually kill of Matthew; it just ends up putting her in a coma.
2: Yeah, on, on life support. Yeah, and, on life. Support. And, and we've got the creepy doctor that, you know, the baby is my patient. And uh, Is that is that the one that offered yeah. to rape June in the first season or whatever to get her pregnant?
1: Um, I don't think it is. Okay.
2: That would have soured the sort of moment of humanity they had together when they were talking about her mom.
1: No, I don't think it was the same doctor because I kind of feel like logically in that first season, you know, they had whatever there was, doctors hanging on the wall for impregnating their patients. It was kind of inferred that That doctor might have been one of them. But no, it was never determined. But I think this was a different guy. I'd have to go back and see.
2: But we've got Heaven as a Place on Earth bleeping through on the life support machines monitors,
1: right? Right, right.
2: But 32 fucking days. Her knees are bloody when she stands up. Yeah. And Aunt Lydia's where else would you be? This is where your walking partner is. She knows that that they're going to let her die whenever that baby's born. She's a... She's an incubator. Well, like June says, like, what else, what's new or something like that?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a different doctor. And by the way, of Matthew does have a name. Natalie. Natalie. Okay. They must have only said that, like, once or something. I don't know. I didn't hear. I don't remember it. But I'm, only, I'm just going by what IMDB says. I don't remember them saying it, though. But this whole episode of, it's only been out for a couple of days now. But it hasn't been very positive response so far. Um, Yeah maybe it goes to some of the complaint that I brought up earlier of this action didn't need to be done over four episodes. It could have cut down to maybe three, (laughs) like if you'd worked it the right way, truthfully, because also this episode here was 45 to 50 minutes. And then the previous episode I think was about 45 minutes as well. Whereas the episodes are usually an hour and I just felt like some of this episode particularly could have been edited down and we still would have gotten the same point. June has just become so cruel. You're talking about Aunt Lydia being cruel. And does she enjoy being cruel?
2: Oh, I know June enjoys her cruelty.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and that's just it. I know
2: that. She's an asshole.
1: I don't think June was a cruel person before all of this. She has become one. And she has become where she relishes in her moments of cruelty, like that entire scene in the epi- in a was it episode eight where of Matthew is flipping out, and June is just silently just goading her on, you know, like
2: yeah, but just, trying to just telling like, her to do so and kill her with her eyes. It,
1: Totally. It's just her facial expression. And I will give it to, to Elizabeth Moss in the fact of she can, you know, she can portray so much without having to say anything. Um, which is why she works in that role because there's so much of the series where June hasn't been saying anything out loud. We maybe yeah. have, you know, hear her narration, whatever's happening inside of her head, but not she's not speaking aloud.
2: Yeah, there's the to other
1: characters to yeah. other characters. So she has to portray a certain amount with her facial expressions and her body language, and and this actually is a very silent show at a lot of points because even I mean Aunt Lydia, I mean well Ann Dowd again, I mean same kind of thing, but she isn't talking endlessly about all these different things. She contains what she's saying and she'll say so much more with just her facial expressions
2: that's why she gets those emmy nominations as she should yeah but also like we like we were saying june wasn't a cruel person before she became a prisoner of war
1: right unlike aunt lydia (laughs) like because truthfully aunt lydia had that streak in her already she absolutely did
2: We've got, what, four more episodes, right, to see where, where this is all going?
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, it's not that I'm losing momentum with the series at all because, like, truthfully, I'm at the point where I'm just like, oh, oh I can't. I'm like, you were you, you say you can't watch really more than one episode at a time, and I'm like, I, I, I have to watch at least two episodes at a time. And since I had caught up, <laughs> like, after we recorded, you know, last, for this uh, last time, I've been keeping, you know, I, I kept, I waited and allowed for episodes six and seven to, you know, for those to be, so I could watch those together. But then the next week I was like, I gotta watch it. (laughs) And then I was like, damn, there's not another episode. We just like ah, because I, I want to know more. Like I said, I feel like there are certain things that are happening a little bit slower than they should. But then again, I do think like with what you really did see in, I think episode eight, nine, and in different ways and for different reasons. Ah, ah, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Ow, 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 cramp in my leg.
3: (laughs) We've been assured that everything possible is being done to correct the situation and we will return to air as soon as possible.
2: So we were were wrapping up (laughs) our (laughs) thoughts on this center section of season three.
1: Yes, but when, I, when I so crazily had my ankle go all wonky on me. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, you may or may not have heard. Yeah, um, I, don't I don't know, know how, how you added that. that.
2: <laughs> I'll see what it sounds like listening back. I'm always concerned about you to listen until I'm listening back. Not always. Last time and this time.
1: <laughs> anyway, you were saying?
2: Oh, no, uh, you were talking about Was I? Aunt Lydia and June... And cruelty.
1: Oh, and, and cruelty. Well, because you had asked earlier, specifically, about, like, I think that's just where we, we see, and it also goes back to Emily and her interrogation of you do these horrible things when you are in this horrible situation as a survival technique. I mean, if you are Emily or June. However, you see Aunt Lydia, who was, you know, she, like I said, was already judgmental and already punitive beforehand. So, of course, it makes perfect sense that she went, she moved right on up the ranks. What would have happened, though, if she had been a teacher who hadn't reported? A single mother who was late picking up their kid, and the kid maybe looked a little underfed. I don't know. Where would she have ended up? As a Martha? I mean, would she still have been, I mean, are we saying, I mean, I don't know, are the, how many of the aunts do you think were teachers before i mean i just all of a sudden thought about this but it wouldn't i mean it makes sense
2: yeah yeah it it makes sense and uh her lawyer training is good at spinning bullshit that nuns (laughs) it's going to be interesting to see how this all pans out you know i feel like there's going to be another spike in bradley whitford or whatever he's called commander
1: well that's just it is that um lawrence yeah commander Commander Lawrence. lawrence um yeah we didn't see really see much of him the, these episodes here, they, uh, because they because June had been taken to DC, and then um, yeah, she had been taken to DC, and then, you know, at, you had the episode where June was pre- in the hospital the entire time. The other one where so much more Aunt Lydia, but then the one under his eye, I mean, June is having to do other things. She, you know, she's partly still having to deal with, you know, the Waterfords. She's still having to, you know, she's still trying to find Hannah outside. And then you see part of Emily. So you really haven't had the Lawrences that much of, you know, in these episodes here. So I don't know.
2: So do we think Fred Waterford and Christopher Mm -hmm. Maloney are going to get it on in some way? And will that cause one of them them to have the other one executed?
1: Ooh. Ooh. Okay. It's just a thought that crossed my mind. No, no. That is actually an interesting thought. I could totally see it happening that they would hook up. Who do you think would execute the other? Because I could also see that happening.
2: I don't really know how much more useful to this storyline Fred is, but I feel like if they're going for an overall story, Fred and Serena's rise to power in Gilead is a more predictable path. But I don't know if that's necessarily Mm -hmm. a bad thing. I mean, we don't know where Hannah was sent off to, but once um, the Waterfords are done with their propaganda videos, trying to get Nicole back, I really don't know how much more useful. At least Fred, I could see Serena staying in there somehow. You know, I, I could see, yeah. you know, I don't But yeah, I don't know.
1: And what I think could be an interesting turn on it, though, is that if it happened that they hooked up, that it would be Christopher Maloney's character who executes Fred mm-hmm. as a way to get rid of him for political power? And Serena has to figure out a way. And she tries to car. Maybe st- she, They continue with her. And she. I mean, it's a possibility because that she's trying to, you know, maintain a certain amount of power. And how does she get somehow involved in the government? Who knows? I don't know. It's just a thought. Tune in next month. But I I still just in my in my my fan fiction world, you know, I want the two guys to, you know, to at least have a blowjob. God, Jesus (laughs) Christ, loosen up. They were certainly looking at each other like they're, you know, they're considering something.
2: And I don't know if that's just because that's what I've been conditioned to think about oppressive right wing politicians.
1: (laughs) Well, no, it's not just that to me it was completely the body language and how it progressed and there were some of the longing looks i just maybe i'm reading too much into it
2: no i i you know the, all the wives have their wives club where they talk about mm-hmm. you can play with the yeah the guardians or the eyes or the drivers or whatever the
1: wives are talking about that a little bit that's kind of an interesting twist that i wasn't expecting that they were going to actually we were actually going to see the wives i mean why wouldn't they they're wealthy you know and they have power they can do whatever they want unfortunately
2: their husbands are blowing each other in the billiard room
1: sure sure
2: at least in vanessa's fan fiction called the
1: hey you said it too
2: <laughs> honey
3: I think you've got a right to know what happened. I went out driving, because, as you know, I love driving, when suddenly I had to take the biggest pee in the world. So, uh, I saw this washroom. So I stopped in and, uh, but it was full of those types. You know, queers and and queens. So one of them tried to kiss me, and I said, no, 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 no. But he just kept kissing me. Why would he do that? Well... Didn't you tell me that you had gripped him by the buttocks and pulled him closer?
0: Yes, but well, that was because I was concerned that he might fall. I mean, a doctor, his pants were down around his goddamn ankles.
1: <laughs> Maybe you don't have the level of fan fiction that I have, but that's okay. I have the porn map down my head, okay? Like, it could make a lot of money on that. Oh, my God. I mean, who, who, there there might be something somewhere. Um. Executive realness.
2: <laughs>
1: but did you have <laughs> <You're> any...
2: <laughs> did you have anything else to add besides plugging your fan fiction?
1: Oh, God, no. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> no, where we, we usually are over at the VD Clinic podcast. VD Clinic podcast, <laughs> that is. And you? What are you also doing? Uh, I am also
2: doing Psycho-Semantic podcasts as per usual, and Manly Horror Show has been doing summer camp stuff. I've been on Crazy Religious People Overload. We did Jesus Camp this week.
1: Oh, my God. That's such a good documentary. Oh, my God. I love that. I love that movie in a weird, fucked up way. (laughs) Because it's a really well-done documentary, and it's so fucked up. Just the subject. It's just wrong. Oh, and one thing. I, I do want to... Sorry, I do have something else to plug. Go for it. The very final episode of Devour the Podcast was finally released. Uh, we recorded that... Oh, I think, I think it was March, uh, right around my birthday. And, yeah, we finally released that. And um, David came back for that to join uh, Bo and Jamie and I, myself. Yeah so check that out
2: it was a good farewell so this was us uh, yeah. v- vanessa and darren uh, we will see you soon
1: <laughs> yes yes what are we doing next on the d clinic we are doing sorry i realized I should probably say what we're doing in august for our show because this what this is being released mid yeah. august
2: yeah yeah sure
1: Okay, um, for our big show, we are doing, it's our Beat the Heat episode, and we are doing Memoirs of a Beat Nick by Diane DiPrima. And what movie, Darren?
2: The Last Time I Committed Suicide, uh, starring Thomas Jane, uh, Claire Forlani, John Doe, and a drunken Yanni Keanu Reeves, Reeves. <laughs> and Adrian Brody. Uh, there's Adrian, There's a lot of famous people in this
1: movie. I haven't seen it
2: i hope you like it i am liking the book i just started reading it okay uh like i said i've read stuff by her but i've Mm -hmm. never read this before yeah um and yeah that'll be that'll be fun yeah so fuck gilead everyone
1: yeah fuck gilead everyone
0: You navigate the
2: on earth or something like that which I always think of and you've probably never seen this movie in the second or third American Pie movie there's a dance off in a gay bar